At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness, but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. Cryptid Keeper Podcast, the podcast for cryptids and their keepers. That's us. And if you're listening, it's you too. I'm Alex Flanagan. And I'm Addison Peacock. And I have to tell you, sometimes when I'm doing that in like that intro, halfway through it, I start thinking about it and I get terrified I'm gonna mess it up. Like it's just <laughs> sort of an innate thing at this point. It's just sort of an automatic process that runs once I start it. Um, that I have to either like actively be in the moment or just not think about it at all until it's done. And then I catch myself halfway through and I'm kind of like, where am I? What are the words that are coming out of my mouth anyway? Oh, no. But you know what I'm, I'm talking about, though, I, right? I do exactly. This is going to sound like a sidebar. This is going to sound like its own like conversational thread, but I promise you it's relevant. I went to Showtunes Karaoke the other day. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I know exactly where this is going. Yes. Like, just based on that setup. Yeah, and I did On the Steps of the Palace from Into the uh-huh. Woods because I'm that person, I guess. And... It's Sondheim, which means a lot of words happen very fast. And you reach Mm -hmm. a certain point where you're not thinking about the words as they come out of your mouth. And if you start to think about the words that are coming out of your mouth, then, oh, Lord, help you because you are done. Oh, yeah. Or your fault from Into the Woods. I can literally only do if I do all the parts. (laughs) If I have to to stop and think about who says what thing, it's never going to happen. If you have to think anything, a single thought about any of the words. Then no, it doesn't doesn't work. (laughs) You must enter a fugue state. That was also me when we were mic testing at the live show, and I just, for some reason, started doing The Music Man. Oh, it was so good. I don't have a prepared monologue. I'm sorry, everybody. That's what I got. If you want me to do a mic test um, or a prepared speech, it's going to be You Got Trouble from The Music Man. That's all I have. One, two, three, four, five, six pockets in a table. <laughs> pockets that mark the difference between a gentleman and a bum with a capital B that rhymes with P that stands for... Cool. Now I know all you folks are the right kind of parents. Um, stands okay. for podcast. All right, folks, that thanks for staying with us. for podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Tragically, that will not be bonus content. Um, nobody gets to hear that except, I guess, Addison and James and the poor sound tech at stage 773. I was just about to say the very, very patient sound tech. The, uh, yeah, the very put upon sound tech at stage 773. Um, who I highly doubt we made a listener of so we can have this conversation. Yeah, you never know, maybe. I doubt it. But anyway, so you, uh, you are bringing a friend with you yes. this week, yes? Yes, I am. Okay. So my selection method is not as nuanced or as uh, <laughs> refined as yours, honestly. Mm-hmm. If I'm being completely honest, I just kind of decided... You know, what's in the air today? I did that thing that they do in movies that I still don't fully understand the purpose of, where you lick your finger and you hold it up. Is it to tell where the wind's blowing? Is that what that's for? Yes. Okay. Yes, that is ostensibly the purpose of that practice. Okay. So I licked my finger and I put it to the wind and I decided which way is the breeze blowing. And the breeze was blowing me back toward Japan. And because I love yokai. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I went to a yokai database website that broke them down by many different categories, and I saw that it had a breakdown based on habitat, so I went to that, and then I clicked the part that said beach, and then I picked one that I thought was neat. So that's... that okay, was. I'm into that. Thank you. That was my strategy today. Uh, continuing the grand tradition of me bringing just various types of uh, spooky women to the table from uh, Japanese folklore. I want to talk about the Nureona. Ooh. That is N-U-R-E hyphen O-N-N-A. If you've heard my previous yokai episodes, you've probably already figured out that suffix means woman. <laughs> the Nureona, the name does not imply the fullness of this character, this character, this creature, because the name just means like wet woman or drenched woman, like, you know, a woman in water <laughs> might be. Yes. Um... So it doesn't go into, I'll just, you know what? You know what? I'll just get right to it. I'll just get right into it. I'm just going to read you a little. Tell me about the wet woman. I'll tell you about the wet woman or the, the soaked woman or the drenched woman. Tell me about the damp lady. <laughs> the moist gal. Oh, no. Never say that again. <laughs> Please don't do that. 
I will make no promises. Go on. Alex, please. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and read you uh, one of the folk tales I found. It was a warm summer's afternoon when a young fisherman took his new bride for a walk along the coastline of Shimane Prefecture in western Japan. Having lived her entire life in the city where they'd met and fallen in love with one another during his very first visit there just a few months earlier. Lots of unnecessary details in this, in my opinion. But anyway. Mm -hmm. She had never before even seen the sea and was delighting in the gentle roar of its distant waves, the raucous cries of the gulls overhead, and the soft caressing foam that lapped around her feet as she stepped over stones and seashells at the very edge of its fluid turquoise domain. Her husband, walking behind her, smiled at her laughter and childlike enjoyment of this new experience, and even the clouds that threatened earlier to overshadow their afternoon had drifted apart, welcoming the golden sunlight that flooded the scene and danced in dazzling, dazzling glee upon the sea's shimmering surface. It was an idyllic scene. Too idyllic, perhaps. Rounding a corner, the two walkers were startled to see what looked like a young naked woman submerged from her waist down, leaning upon a rocky outcrop ahead of them as she combed with great care and attention her long, luxuriant hair. Next to her, placed precariously upon one of the rocks, was a bundle, wrapped roughly in rags, but which looked suspiciously as if it may contain a baby. The fisherman's bride was fascinated by this incongruous scene, so much so that she failed to see the expression of absolute horror that had frozen her new husband's face into a silent, rigid mask. <laughs> so transfixed was he by what he was seeing, he was unable even to scream out to his bride as she moved closer to the young woman. Suddenly, the woman looked up and saw the bride approaching. Concerned that the bundle, which she felt sure was indeed a baby, may topple off the rock and into the sea, the bride was walking toward it. As soon as she realized this, the woman picked up the bundle, held it close to her breast for a moment, and then, gazing directly at the bride and smiling, offered it to her in outstretched arms. Finding his voice at last, the petrified young fisherman opened his mouth and let out a single desperate shriek of warning, but it was too late. His bride, smiling back at the strange woman with the long black hair, had stretched out her own arms and taken the bundle in them, gently and welcomingly. She bent her head down to look at the face of the baby, but her frantic husband knew only too well what she would see, and it wouldn't be a baby. Raised in a small fishing village nearby, he knew all about the horrors that lurked in the ocean depths and occasionally came ashore the evil maritime yokai that sometimes assumed human form to tempt and terrorize the mortals who shared their coastal domain. Can we, can, sorry, can I guess what it is instead of a baby? What? Well, no, I just thought, like, maybe we should take a second, because you're going to reveal, and I just kind of want to explore some options here. No guess. What do you think it is instead of a baby? Maybe it's, um, a fake baby with a little note on the chest that says, sucker. <laughs> Okay, or maybe it's um like uh like a really disappointing third installment in a movie franchise that she really liked. <laughs> like a direct to VHS kind of situation. It's like an Aladdin Return of Jafar situation. You know, actually I wasn't naming names, but I was thinking of Return of Jafar. Wait, although that was really? the second and not the third. The third one was pretty good. Aladdin and the King of Thieves actually slapped. I've never seen um, it. It's good. It's way better than Return of Jafar. Oh, good. Uh, it's got John Rhys Davies in it as Aladdin's dad. Oh, dang. All right. The Prince of Thieves. All I know is that they There's like... some great songs, too. It's a banger. They like couldn't lock Robin Williams in for the direct-to-DVD sequels. That's... For the second one, yeah. So it was Dan Castellaneta. But they did get him back for the third one, which is part of the other reason why it's better. Mm. Anyway, this was like a weird deep dive on a movie that 10 people have seen. <laughs> we just... And I'm sorry. This is going to be me going off on a tangent. Um, so my brother... I have two brothers, but the older of my two younger brothers, mm -hmm. when we were growing up, um, he went through this whole thing for years where he would um, basically hyper-focus on certain movies. Uh-huh. And he would, like, once he got into a movie-watching phase, that was the only movie we were watching for the next six months. And so, like, <laughs> as this went through, like, our, our childhood, um, that would be it. My mom taught private piano and voice lessons out of our home, and so, like... After school, when we got home, we were all kind of corralled to the den, as it were. And uh, so, you know, if my brother had decided that we were watching The Lion King for six months straight, that's what was on. That was the piece of media we were consuming. It was Lion King and nothing else. 
And it would always be this thing where, like, he would be on this one movie and would refuse to watch anything else. And then one of us would dare to try to introduce a new piece of media. And it would not go well. We'd be like, okay, listen, you love Lion King, I know. Here's another movie I think you'll really like. And he would be like, no, no, it's only Lion King. Lion King forever, that's the only one. Lion King is the only movie. You would have to almost, like, trick him into watching a different movie. Like, put it on and, like... Because the opening credits would all be the same in these old Disney home movies, right? And so you would try to, like, put it on, like, see the castle with, like, the little shooting star, and then, like, fast forward through the previews, because he would recognize which ones went with the movie he was watching. (laughs) And then, like, get into it, and he would, like, be like, no, this is not Lion King. And you'd be like, okay, but you're gonna love it, I promise. It's gonna be fine. Just, like, just, like, stick with it for ten minutes. Um, So you would finally get him into Aladdin, and then he would devour all of Aladdin and suddenly it was only Aladdin and Aladdin adjacent media so anyway oh boy. a long way of saying that once his Aladdin period hit his Aladdin era um we did watch Aladdin many times we watched a lot of Return of Jafar <laughs> because he was thirsty for that Aladdin content and then we did watch uh, Aladdin the King of Thieves which was much 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 better than Return of Jafar but I have seen all the Aladdin movies very many times oh I didn't know I was speaking to an Aladdin historian it's been an honor to have you here I <laughs> happy to help really thrilled to be a part of it um yeah I know too much about Aladdin Although it's been a long time since I sat down and watched any of the Aladdin pieces of media. I did not see the new live-action movie. Um, I honestly can't imagine what it could possibly do to improve on the situation. I was going to say better casting, but they didn't even do that. So I was so horrified by the clip I saw of the Prince Ali segment <laughs> that I just truly can't. It's just kind of like... There, there could have been, and they, okay, and this is definitely not, like, even remotely related to the episode that we're trying to have here, so I apologize. Eh. But it's, like, when they go to make these live-action movies, and people are immediately like, oh, you can't improve upon the original. I'm like, well, let's get one thing straight. You absolutely can. Yeah. Like, you could easily improve upon the animated Aladdin movie in so many ways. It's just that they're not going to do any of them. Yeah. Like... Yeah, you could very easily improve upon Aladdin the animated movie, but it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that it did. It's to my knowledge that that did not occur. So yeah, I don't. I know. don't think it did. I uh, I don't know. All I know is that I still take umbrage with people who refer to the Lion King one as live action when it is simply another style of animation. But that's oh my god, yeah. And they like promote it as live action so hard, and then now that it has like gotten some box office record for animated movies they're all over calling it an animated movie did you did you see that of course there was like this whole push for like oh the live action lion king live action lion king and then they like just the other week were like oh this is the first animated movie to do this and it's like oh hmm, i see interesting we're gonna open our doors tomorrow and there are gonna be like a just a team of lawyers wearing mickey mouse ears to make it fun sending us a cease and desist because we've been talking too care. much take me away disney lawyers <laughs> Do your worst. (laughs) Alex, no. I won't break. So do you want to know what the baby was? Oh, it wasn't Return of Jafar? No. (laughs) Okay. Although you were kind of not wrong about like a fake baby with a note that says sucker. Okay, well tell me about it then. True, the rags had been artfully arranged to give the impression that they contained an infant, but what they really contained was nothing more than a very large, heavy rock. Aww. Full of spring-loaded fake snakes. Got him. Oh, you're... Even still, not fake snakes, but just oh, hang in, oh, hang in there. it's a rock full of spring-loaded real snakes. Well, n- just stick with me. Stick with me here. Startled and perplexed, the bride looked at the young woman, and as she did, the woman grinned back at her, a malign, vicious grin that exposed a formidable array of sharp teeth, including a pair of long, curved fangs that dripped with amber venom. At the same time, the waves behind her began to froth and surge, as if something enormous had risen from their dark, sequestered depths and was about to break forth through the mirrored surface, which is precisely what was about to happen. Suddenly, a series of enormous scaly coils, seemingly limitless in length, appeared, thrashing wildly as they sent great showers of seawater cascading in all directions. And as the bride gazed at this blood-chilling scene, the young woman began to rise up in front of her, revealing that she was only semi-human. Below the waist, Mm. she was entirely reptilian, or to be more specific, serpentine. 
for the remainder of her form consisted of those vast ophidian coils, which in total measured at least 300 meters, stretching back as far as the eye could see as they undulated madly in a ceaseless frenzy above the whiplashed sea's surface. There could be no doubt, just as the fisherman had feared, the marine demon confronting his doomed bride was none other than Nunure Ona, the gargantuan, merciless snake woman of the sea. I love all of that. There's a lot of flavor text in this. This is, by the way, taken from Carl Schuker's Goodreads page. Oh, nice. I just, I don't know. I didn't. There's a lot more of this, by the way. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it is quite long. But uh, if you were wondering, the fisherman's wife actually does live. Oh, okay. That's nice. She does survive. Because do, you know, do you know what she does? Marries the snake woman. And they oh, raise the rock baby together. No, but she... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it actually is a baby. It's just made of rocks. <laughs> oh, nice. No, actually, uh, she, what she does is, and this pops up again sort of as a way to sort of get the Nureona off your back is to show it a show of show it respect. She bows to the Nureona and basically says, essentially, like, obviously not quite this because this is meant to be a retelling of a folktale from the 1800s. But she says, uh, basically, we don't want any trouble. Didn't mean to intrude and take your rock baby and she walks back toward the ocean and offers the rock baby back to the Nureona who is shocked by this display of politeness and deference and is like all right I mean I guess and she takes the rock baby back and goes back into the ocean oh that's nice <laughs> yeah honestly Aretha Franklin wasn't kidding R-E-S-P-E-C-T it's what it's all about just respect the snake woman you're so so correct and she'll respect you at least according to some of the stories don't t- don't take me at my word there <laughs> Don't take that to the bank. Don't go fussing around with snake women in the seas of Japan and think that being polite to them will necessarily save you from inevitable doom. That's just one story. Also, because your idea of politeness might differ from from her idea of politeness. You know, that's a bit of a sticky wicket when you're doing cross-cultural encounters. Exactly. Anyway, all we're saying here is that you listening to this podcast does not in any way, shape, or form constitute an official consultation in terms of cryptid encounters, um, and this does not substitute for any sort of professional advice. Yes, please. If one of your, if you or your relative falls victim to a snake woman, please do not contact us about this. Do not attempt to sue us. We do not <laughs> hold responsibility. You waive that when you click listen. <laughs> On your podcast player. So um, there are stories about the Nureona kind of going back pretty far. Like a lot of folklore, it's really difficult to trace exactly where it begins. I can say for a fact that there is a painting of a woman, like a woman head on a snake body that goes, that dates back to sometime during the Edo era, which is spans around like 1600 to 1860. So I have sort of a ballpark Mm -hmm. for at least an early time where you can see references to her uh like i said it's difficult to trace exactly the origins of stories like this but it looks like the story came about in around the edo era which is a pretty wide range but gives you kind of a ballpark for when she cropped up and the story that i was reading the translation or sort of re tooling of because as you can tell a creative writing major got their hands on it oh yeah absolutely but that story was meant to be a sort of a retelling of a story from around 1800 so a couple several hundred years old is the story at the very least possibly older and she is a exactly what you what i said i'm gonna read hop over to yokai.com which is where i first found an entry on her and just give like a general like overview of her she is the Nureona, as I said. She her translated, her name means the wet woman, soaked woman, drenched woman, just a woman who's been in water, okay? She's been... The doused woman. The dou- I like that one. A soggy woman. The soggy... Okay, that might be my favorite one. <laughs> the soggy woman. That one just makes me feel bad for her. That sounds like she was just caught in the yeah. rain for a long time and she's having a really bad day. <laughs> her hair is ruined. Her outfit's ruined. Her rock baby is just dripping water. Mascara just running down her face. So um, her habitat is coasts, rivers, beaches, bodies of water in general, native to the Kyushu region. Her diet is blood. Oh. I'll go more into that in a bit. She's a little bit more vampiric, actually, of a creature, like the uh, noble vampire bat. Okay, here, here's just a quick question. Mm-hmm. Is vampiric a spectrum? 
I kind of feel like you either are or you aren't. Okay, so then she's a vampiric creature because like the noble vampire bat, she uses a long tongue to extract blood from her victims. I don't have a ton of detail about how she does it. I just saw the fact that it's with her tongue and I was like, that's what vampire bats do. Neat. And I tucked that away in my pocket for later. Okay. And later is now. She's also described as vampiric in this yokai.com entry. And since it is, of course, a peer-reviewed scientific site, I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> well, naturally. Who would dare? Um, so they're, vampire, they're vampiric sea serpents who haunt shores and rivers looking for prey. Um, they're, current, they're usually found on the shores of Kyushu, but their stories as far north as Niigata and as far east as Fukushima. I wish I could pretend I knew what some of these descriptions are, but aside from Fukushima, I'm not familiar with either of these other two areas. So I don't, I don't have a distinct image geographically in my head of what her hunting round range looks like. There are two variations of the Nereona. There's one without arms, which resembles an enormous sea serpent with just a woman's head on top, like the painting I described. And then there's the one that appears in the story, which is more like a mermaid, but instead of a fish bottom, it's a serpent body. So there's one with just the woman's head on the snake body, and then there's one with a woman's head and torso and arms on the snake body. Like the one in the story who's holding the rock baby and combing her nice long hair. This sort, this part's just mean. Their faces are hideous and often betray serpent-like oh, no. features such as a forked tongue. That's so mean. The second part's just a fact, but the first part, you don't have to say that. All right. They have long black hair which sticks to their bodies because their name comes from the fact that they always appear sopping wet. You know, because they live in the water. Of course. They're physically much stronger than humans. They often prefer, though, to use trickery and guile to catch their prey rather than relying on brute force. They normally appear on the coast by the water or riverbank, disguised as a distressed woman carrying a bundled baby. They cry out for help, and when the prey approaches, they have them hold the baby for just a moment, and then if he agrees to take the bundle, it quickly becomes as heavy as a boulder and the victim is unable to move. The Nuriona is then free to attack the victim, feeding by draining his blood with her long serpentine tongue. Again, no further explanation as to how the physics of that go down. Mm -hmm. You can either be mad at me or be thankful. And uh, they actually, there's a couple other creatures that tie into stories of the Dureona. So technically this is sort of like a three for the price of one episode. I'm mainly focusing on her, but they do often appear in tandem with and cooperate with other creatures. They frequently appear with and cooperate with particularly something called an Ushi Oni mm-hmm. uh, because they inhabit the same environment and they share the same diet. So instead of being competitive, we've got sisters supporting sisters. And by sisters, I mean snake women supporting ox demons. <laughs> That's the kind of solidarity I look for. Honestly, women and ox demons need to stick together. So the Ushi Oni is an ox demon. It lives along the coast or near bodies of water. It is a carnivorous creature. And, hey, Alex, what do you think this thing, what do you think it looks like? What do I think it looks like? The ox demon? Yeah. Probably a little bit like an ox. Absolutely. It, I can tell you right now that it has the head of an ox. Oh. Now, um, what do you think its body looks like? Um, I'm going to say uh, the body of Jafar. God, wouldn't that be preferable? <laughs> no, 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 Alex. It is most commonly uh, described as an ox from the head up, a demonic horror below the head. Many forms are known to exist, but uh, um, the one that I am uh, most uh, afraid of and also interested to describe to you is one with the head of an ox and the body of a spider. Oh. But big. Oh, okay. Well, that was going to be my next question, actually. <laughs> no, big, Alex. Not little spider with tiny little baby adorable okay, ox Okay, but here's head. the thing. Well, no, no, no. I was not imagining the ox head to be small. Oh, shit. I was thinking ox-sized ox head, spider-sized spider head, and that was terrible. I'm all... So, you know, I'm actually glad that you told me the spider body is very big. You're happy because it's proportional? Yes. All right. You know what? You got to take the joy where you can find it in this world. I won't try to take that away from you, and I won't keep repeating until the horror seeps into your bones ox head spider body (laughs) um would you rather it had a giant spider head no okay no i would not you can find the joy in the ox head as i have (laughs) why do you sound like you're trying to convert me to a religion here's the thing 
Our beautiful <gasps> ox god has only two eyes. <laughs> but they see all. But they see all. <laughs> so they all share a number of characteristics pointing to a common origin. They're very cruel. They're very savage. They breathe toxic poison and they like to eat humans. It's still better than spider head ox body, I think. Okay, you know, you're correct. But it frequently partners, the spider version specifically, <laughs> frequently partners with the Nureona uh, and um, who use their charms to lure people to the water's edge. Does she ride so it when they... into battle? Oh my god, can you imagine? I, I would like to. I'm trying very hard. It just says that essentially she's like the, she's like the bait. She's like the, the charm. Mm, she's the PR person. She lures the person to the water's edge. She's the and face. then she's once the they're muscle. close enough... Yeah, she's the face. Ushioni um, is the muscle. They drag the victim into the water and kill it, and then they share a meal together, oh. as partners do. It's wholesome if you ignore the part where they just killed somebody by dragging them to a watery grave. Yeah, well, there is that. There's also another variation on the Nureona that's not really ever described as being a a snake woman. Like, she's just a little bit more like a siren or like a, like a mermaid, perhaps, like a scary water-dwelling lady who lures sailors to their deaths, and that's the Nure Onago. The Nure Onago is also, like, the wet woman. I'm going to have to send you the art that accompanies this page because it's very funny. Please do. Because it is truly, like, a chibi, like, avatar drawing of, like, a grinning woman with purple hair and, like, just a bunch of water dripping off of her. Nice. <laughs> I'll send it to you. It makes me laugh. Um, It's very cute. So... This one is just that she's a young woman drenched from head to toe. She has long, dark hair, and she wears, like, a kimono. And as if so, this is as if she's unexpectedly been drenched in water somehow. Maybe she fell into the water and climbed out, uh, and she seems distressed. She acts distressed so that somebody comes in to be like, oh, no, uh, can, what can I do? Can I help you? And in this one, this is a little bit more of almost like a Medusa vibe where she... It's, it's 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 a whole different thing. I don't even know how to describe it. I'll just read it to you. She smiles at them. And if they smile back, which most people do out of politeness and herd mm -hmm. mentality and all that, then they are paralyzed. They're like stuck oh, in sort of like a trance kind of state. They can't move. Then she encases her new victim in a watery prison and they both disappear into the dark water, never to be seen again. They Many of them, as opposed to the Nureona, which is pretty much described overtly as like, a flesh and blood creature that exists as its own species and is a predatory just animal, like, or humanoid creature. The Nure Onago arises, many believe, from the accumulation of sadness and loss of drowned victims in rain, flood, and tsunamis. During the rainy seasons, the grievances and unrequited loss are amplified. So they're acting out of not a desire to eat a victim, but just out of this desire to not be lonely. Interesting. Like they, or trying to trap somebody that they can take down into the water with them. So there's overlap, but different, obviously. Uh, this is much more, a little sadder, a little more ghostly, but could not go without discussing because it does pop up several times if you're reading about the Nureona, and it still is the same description of like a young woman with long dark hair who's drenched from head to toe and dwells along the coast. Cool. But their abilities are, if you would like to know their specific abilities listed out like their Pokemon stats. I really would. Yeah, I want to know their stats. Hydrokinesis, generate a significant amount of water. Mental paralysis, immobilize a person with a smile. And water prison, create a water bubble to capture a person. Oh, I like that they have moves. <laughs> That's actually really dope. They do. They have moves. Like a water type Pokemon. That's, yeah. Okay, cool. I'm looking forward to the inevitable art of that. Oh, oh, absolutely. There's going to be some art. Uh, if I if I know our listeners or if I just know the internet well, that's just going to be a thing. So I would like to hop over now. It's a little early, but I want to go ahead and because we don't often get to talk about survival tips these days. Yeah, not so much. Take me there. From a book. There's a book on Google Books called Yokai Attack, the Japanese Monster Survival Guide. Nice, nice, nice. This is by Matt Alt and Hiroko Yoda. So there's a general description of um, a Nureona, just as I've mentioned before. Then there is a picture of some snake skin that was supposedly found near the site of a Nureona sighting. Ooh. And then there's um, this one describes them. And this makes sense when you think about um, uh, more like 
uh, about like East Asian renderings of dragons versus the way we talk about dragons. This rendering describes her as being dragon-like, which may, again makes sense because a lot of East Asian depictions of dragons have those sort yeah, of definitely. long serpentine bodies as opposed to more um, like almost lizard, more lizard-like, which is how you think of them in like Western Europe. So there's a lot of overlap that I don't really have time to get into between like dragon imagery and there's some theorizing about like the way that the Nuriona ties into dragon lore in Japanese mm-hmm. uh, storytelling. But <clears throat> specifically, that's not what I'm here for on this particular page. This is where the Nuriyonaga lore overlaps. This book says that the Nuriona can paralyze its victims with eye contact, like a basilisk or like a medusa, though the effect is more psychological or physiological in this sense, rather than literally turning them into stone. That is interesting, though, because like, it's a trait that shows up in several sort of serpentine adjacent monsters and cryptids, um, but not in any actual snakes that I'm aware of. <laughs> actually, actually, there is a thing that snakes do. The sort of like mesmerizing. Yes. Yeah. Um, like from the jungle bug. Yes. Which is actually a thing that sort of, that they sort of do, but it's not like really the way that we think of it. It's more of like a frozen in fear thing. Yeah. Rather. I shouldn't say that they do. It's more of a thing that we have historically attributed to snakes. Yeah. I guess like a thing that we would observe in other creatures in response to snakes. Yes. So it's more like a lot of prey animals would freeze in fear uh-huh. and lock eyes with a snake. And I think that historically we as a, as a people, as a people, we as a species have observed that and been like, oh, there must be something like keeping it from moving or something like that, as opposed to just often the prey animal fear instinct is to freeze mm-hmm. and hope that being still will mean they avoid detection. Yeah, that's interesting. So I, I, I wonder if there's overlap there. I have no way to prove it. I'm just spitballing here. But anyway, here we go. Scrolling down here to find. there. This describes how to survive an encounter in both the young female form and the snake-like form. Because there is this, this one does reference that there's a form that isn't snake-like. It's just like a young woman by the water. And there's that Nuryanago crossover again. So if you want to survive an encounter in its snake-like form, in its preferred saltwater habitat, the Nuriona is essentially similar to animals such as anacondas and pythons. The problem is its sheer size. So it's, a cap- it's capable of extending extraordinary lengths in pursuit of its prey. So once you're targeted, it's nearly impossible to avoid the clutches of the Nuriona. So, survival tip, it's best to avoid solitary walks along dark beaches or riverbanks at night. If you happen to encounter one, avoid making eye contact at all costs and run. So that's one. Young female form. Today, sightings are rare. In this era of cell phones and other methods of rapid long-distance communication, a kimono-clad woman appearing out of nowhere and offering her baby would probably stir up a commotion even in the most isolated of areas. Still, better safe than sorry. If you find yourself in this sort of situation, refuse and contact the authorities. Yokai prey on individuals with no easy escape method or method of calling for help. So there you go. This is interesting because I definitely thought that like we had earlier talked about politeness as a strategy. Oh, yes. And it seems to me like refusing to engage with someone and then calling the cops on them when they have really done nothing would be a little impolite. Oh, it is definitely impolite. There are differing accounts for very sure. I... Would say that maybe avoid engaging, and then if you do engage, then be polite. Not engaging isn't really not going to be an option for our listeners, considering how many of them I can guarantee you are going to try to kiss this thing. Oh no, no, no. (laughs) Okay, well then at this point, I guess all that I can ask is just like, make sure you have an enthusiastic verbal yes, and then go (laughs) go forth, do your thing. And And then, you know... Let whatever happens, happens. It can be a beautiful thing. And then I guess just be okay with the knowledge that uh, you might be dragged to a watery grave. Yeah, I mean, you might, but... I, well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna finish that sentence. I was going to say something to the effect of, like, but at least if that's going to happen, you're gonna be, like, kissing a cryptid. So I guess that's, you know, preferable to some alternatives. Um, It's hard to be, like... It's hard to not have a little bit of gallows humor in this the year 2019. No, you're correct. Anyway, I have to hop over. This is from japanesemythology.wordpress.com. This was written uh, about in right before um, 2013. This was written in 2012, right before the new year began. And this was because 2013 was the year of the snake. Mm-hmm. And this is a piece 
uh, in which they break down various snake-like monsters from Japan. And I will just go ahead and dive in. I really enjoy this. They describe a different one. I'm not going to read it right now because that's not what this episode is about. I will just dive into the part about the the Nureona. And I'm just going to read this part verbatim because it does make me laugh. Do it. Do it. Do it. Not afraid of 2013 yet? Don't be naive. Whoa, okay. Are you prepared for what you will do if you see a Nureona wet woman? Not just a regular wet woman, mind you, but one with the body of a snake, the head of a woman, and the tongue of a snake. (laughs) The the tone is so aggressive. I love it so much. I always love when things, and this is like such a weird thing to fixate on, but I always love when things are like the this of a thing A, the this of a thing B, and the this of a thing A. I'm like, list those two things together. My my English major brain is just like, I need you to fix that. Like, this is the first thing I would mark on this paper. No, absolutely. Then it describes what I mentioned before, her normal hunting patterns, carrying the baby-like bundle by the shore. The wet woman has relatives, too. Mainly the Rokorokubi, or long-necked woman, who appears to be a normal dry woman, but with a neck that grows long overnight. I'll talk about her in a minute, by the way. If you meet a person who appears to be normal, but is a very quiet, deep thinker, you might be a bit suspicious. Such creatures are sure to be successful, wealthy, and full of wisdom. They may drink alcohol and sing karaoke, but don't worry, these creatures are not to be feared. They're not snakes in the grass. They're people who were born in the year of the snake. 2001, 1989, 1977, etc. Etc. Um, by the way, I need you to know that when I was researching the Nureona, I was googling the phrase snake woman. And when I Googled the phrase snake woman, I found a sub a section that I'm going to do right now, which is not exactly technically relevant, but I'm going to pretend it is, which is women who were born in the year of the snake. So. Oh, interesting. I'm just going to pretend that the descriptions of the personality type that of like a, a snake woman, I'm going to pretend they mean literal snake women and that this is like almost the dating profile of a Nureona or just a nice description of her general personality when she's not on the clock. Absolutely. This is her in her real regular life when she's not like when she's not on the floor, when she's not out there hunting humans for blood. This is just her in her day to day. Her strengths are that she's intuitive. She's passionate. She's spiritual. Her weaknesses are that she's vain, indulgent, and judgmental, which makes sense. She's always combing her long, dark, beautiful hair by the side of the water. She's indulging in the delicious blood of slain humans, and she's judgmental. Whenever someone wants to to hold her baby, she assumes their intentions are probably bad and she's got to kill them. But also she is the one offering them the baby, right? Correct. Depends on the version, but yes. She needs to learn to be less demanding of those who are close to her. You know, perhaps be less demanding that they offer her their lifeblood so that she may satiate her dark hungers. Yeah, I think it's important to, like, set realistic and healthy standards in your personal interactions. Mm-hmm. So she's kind and she's a good friend. She's interested in how others feel and in hiding her aggressiveness when they make a mistake. She's intelligent. She has lots of knowledge on many subjects and is interested in any intellectual subject. She likes to read the big authors and will never say something stupid because there's no field she can't touch with her mind. (sighs) Okay, I like this. I like knowing that this is about our good friend, the snake woman, a specific woman, because I would hate to think that this sort of generalization was being applied to a broad class of women. No, absolutely not. This is definitely about a specific woman who is half woman, half snake. While charming on the outside, she's very stubborn on the inside, especially when crossed. She's a little bit materialistic and has a very developed sense of propriety. Well, that's fair. I'm I, I'm not going to read this whole thing. I just think it's very funny because I got through like a pretty large chunk of it before I realized it was referring to a horoscope. <laughs> I like this one because it literally, this is like kind of an insulting thing if it were about, you know, regular human women. But since it's about a snake woman that is a real snake woman who hunts by this method i think it works the snake woman wants to seduce just to feed her ego so her imagination won't rest until she feels like many men are really crazy about her see it shouldn't say feed her ego it should say just to feed just to feed yeah anyway i just thought that was very funny um it was more amusing to me than perhaps anyone else but that's the snake woman i respect it thank you i think that it's uh you know i i do sort of like to believe that this is how she would describe herself it does make me think that absolutely we're going to see an influx in the next week of people dropping, like, personality, like, enneagrams based on cryptids. I'm okay with that. I'm never mad about it. So I'm going to, just before I wrap up for the day, going to hop over to the mentioned related thing, like, um, 
Okay, um, sorry, okay. I can't talk. The mentioned related, <laughs> I was trying to open a page at the same time and I really wasn't ready for that. I want to talk about the Rokuro Kubi. Do it. So she's not a snake woman, but the imagery is very similar and I want to talk about it. So this is pretty much just pulled from the Wikipedia page uh, just for the sake of condensing a lot of material. Your teachers lied to you. Wikipedia can actually be a good source sometimes. But Wikipedia actually is required to be a lot more stringent than like a lot of independently run sites. Yeah. That's a thing. People assume that because Wikipedia is a community sourced site that it is inherently less valuable. But actually, I kind of find the reverse to be true. Wikipedia has pretty stringent standards on things getting like flagged immediately and taken down if they're not properly sourced and cited, which means that people on Wikipedia have to have basis for the things they say, whereas somebody who has like an independent blog under a vaguely academic sounding title is not held to the same standards. No, not really, not at all. And that's a secret that you all need to know today. Um, It's why you're supposed to find sources that back up each other. You're supposed to be able to find the same. If, If you are trying to make a point, you need to find multiple valid academic sources that make that claim. Yeah, although actually here is a good essay writing tip. Um, I know we have like a lot of cool fun teens who listen to our podcast. So if you are like, if it's common app season for you, or if you are writing for um, a specific class, or even if you're like in your first few years of college, and you're trying to turn out a paper, and your professor has forbidden Wikipedia as a resource, (gasps) still use Wikipedia. What you should do is you should go to Wikipedia for an overview of the information and to sort of digest a summary to give you a basic understanding of what you're looking at. And then go to the work cited at the bottom of the Wikipedia page, or the footnotes, um, or look for the individual citations on a piece of information that you find interesting, go to the external source um, and use that as one of your resources. Like Wikipedia is great for a lot of things. And the thing that it's probably best at is being a hub of other sources to check out. It really is a great place to start your research because it sort of gets all the relevant talking points into one place and then gives you a springboard with which to deep dive into any of the other topics that you're looking at. Also use Google Scholar. Yes, and you know what? Uh, when common app season does come up, make sure you don't overextend yourself because you're not a Rikurakubi who can seamless transition, <laughs> extend her neck out to great lengths while her head is still attached to her body, thus giving a somewhat serpentine appearance. Wow, so nicely done. Thank you. That's uh, why I am a professional podcaster. No. Okay, so... There is a different version of the Rokurokubi I'm not going to talk about because it doesn't have to do with the snake imagery that I love so very much, which is the nuke. Yeah, so screw her. No, I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> all right. Um, I, uh, but there's the uh, idea of a Nukikubi, which is a variation on Rokurokubi whose heads actually come off and float around independent of their body. <laughs> oh. So like... While you're asleep, your head comes off and just, like, floats around town and sees what everyone's up to. Boy, that's really something, huh? Isn't it just? But starting in the Edo period, there were tales written about people's necks stretching out to extreme lengths while they were asleep. Um, there are tales of that in uh, Boyazokuda, Kanden Kohitsu, and Yasokidan. Those are different um, places where these were written about. One story in uh, the Kashiyawa, there tells of a female servant who's suspected to be a Rakurokubi. On one night, she's checked on while she's sleeping, and it looks like there's steam rising from her chest. The steam becomes thick and obscures her head, and it appears as though her neck has risen up and stretched. And then as she's surprised, awake, she stirs, turns over, and her neck returns to normal. But... And she was fired, which is mean. Don't fire her just because her neck can stretch out really long. Aww. In the late Edo period, uh, there's a, an illustrated novel um, called Rokoku Kaidan Kikigaki Zoshi. I'm so sorry if, if my pro- pronunciations are just atrocious. Um, but that's by Japensha Iku. The author suggests elongated necks of Rokurakubi originate in the spiritual principle karma. And it has to do with the something that their spirit is doing as opposed to their neck physically stretching out. Um, But regardless, there's this imagery of, there's a version, here's the story referenced in this one. There's a monk who meets this woman called Oyotsu. They elope together, and then she gets sick, and then she she passes away. When he returns to secular life, he goes to bed with a girl he meets at an inn. When they sleep together, her neck stretches out, and her face becomes that of his dead bride. Oh. Yes. That's intense. Oh, yeah. 
And then basically, so there's a little bit of that being tied into sort of like the spirit, like vengeful spirits and all that sort of thing. In some stories, they're not a yokai, but they're just people with really long necks. Oh, but their necks aren't just long all the time. They're, they stretch in their sleep. Like their head, like just, it, I need you to like all Google image Rokurokubis because I don't know how else to explain it other than. Spell it for everybody. Spell it for everybody oh, so they can. R-O-K-U-R-O-K-U-B-I. It's like you most of the time will just see like a woman, you know, a woman, uh, like, you know, with a human body and. And then there's just like a long, like noodly neck. And I don't just mean long, like a person with a graceful, long, like swan-like neck. I mean like long loopy looping on itself, like a long, no- like a stretched out noodle. Like swan boy. Yes. <laughs> but, no, but more so. Yeah, but like swan boy. So anyway, it's not quite the same as the Nereona, but I wanted to just leave off on that because the Rikurokubi can't really have her own episode because there's not really enough stuff. But She's got like a very Junji Ito vibe and I respect it. She really, really, really does. And I also appreciate the idea of somebody who's just a human periscope. Yeah. Like she can just like, I love it. Oh God. It's like a very specific very, very, very specifically focused Mr. Fantastic from Fantastic Four. Like, she can't stretch the rest of her body, but she can just, like, stretch her neck out to check stuff out. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of that as a superhero. And now I love the idea. I'm sorry I'm going completely off the rails. We have to wrap up. But just consider this. It's Charlie's Angels. Uh-huh. Three gals doing missions. Uh-huh. Or just, I guess, hunting men for food. And it's the Rakurakubi, Nureona, and the ox demon I was talking about. And they're all in the ocean together. And the Rakurakuva, oh my god, I can't talk anymore. The long neck woman, she's lookout. She, her body is under the water, but she stretches her head out over the water Powerful. to like check Respect stuff out. It. Like a human periscope. The Yuki, or the Yukiona, that's a different woman. The Nureona, <laughs> she is the face. She's the charm. She gets people in the door. She's up, she hops out up front on the rocks when she gets the heads up that there's someone coming. She pulls the whole like, oh, my baby, will you hold my baby routine? And then the muscle, the ox demon comes in, drags the person to their watery grave. The ladies have a three-person feast. And that's just my final pitch to you for this just thing to think about, I guess. I respect it. I will be cherishing that mental image as we go forward. Thank you. And that's what I think the new Charlie's Angels movie should be all about. The new Charlie's Angels movie does look really good, though. Oh, no, it actually does. I don't. I do not mean <laughs> to disparage. It actually looks really fun. No, it looks really fun. I do not mean to disparage the new Charlie's Angels movie. Perhaps it should be its own independent franchise. I do not have the brain power to think of one right now because I am still kind of sick with a head cold, and I do feel a little bit like I have cotton balls stuffed in my skull. But you know what? It'll come to me in the middle of the night. I'll wake up at 1 o'clock in the morning with a really clever joke idea, and that'll be what it is. <laughs> There you go. And we'll just put it in in post. Oh, perfect. Thank you, Val. So thank you for coming with me to this uh, very weird beach trip. And of course. Uh, just as final wrap-up thoughts, uh, please don't ever, when someone offers you their baby, just don't hold it. Don't take other people's babies. Even if they offer it to you, they don't really mean it. Don't hold their baby. It's <laughs> a very hard stance I'm coming down on. A very anti-holding other people's Anybody babies. Anybody who's stance. ever asked you to hold their baby is lying. They're trying to trick you, and they're going to drag you to a watery grave. Don't hold babies. They're Don't hold babies. Holding. They're not. For Everyone holding. knows this. <laughs> it's actually the thing you're least supposed to do with a baby. Never ever hold a baby. Are you kidding me? You Never. were a baby once. Do you think people held you? No. <laughs> you fool. Get it through your head. <laughs> don't hold babies. Don't walk by the ocean. If you see a woman who's just dripping wet, just sopping wet, leave her alone. She's probably fine. There's I'm... no such thing as a held baby. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is a very hard stance we're coming down on. <laughs> I'm a baby so... truther. Uh, I've so never seen one. I don't believe they exist. I've never seen a baby. All humans come from rocks full of snakes. Oh, that reminds me. I didn't even say it. I'll wrap it up with this fact. Okay. The Nureona is believed to reproduce asexually by just like fertilizing her own eggs and having a a virgin birth. God, she's powerful and I love her. She's so strong. And I can't believe I forgot to add on that part. (laughs) Well, I'm glad I somehow brought it back around. Yes, self-sustained, independent woman, feminist icon. All right, thank you.
absolutely. So with all that, um, I hope you're all having a lovely and safe summer. Hope you are, if you are taking long walks on the beach, doing it with perhaps friends or just a phone if you need to call in case of an emergency. Uh, I, I hope that you are not going in the water less than a half hour after eating because cramps um, just... Hope you're doing all the summer fun and the sun activities you can, but as safely as possible, uh, be that from cryptids or just, you know, practicing general summer safety. Please wear sunscreen. And um, that's, I guess, Addison's summertime advice corner. And uh, any announcements? I talked for a very long time. Uh, it's okay. Nothing specific to um, the show except that, uh, oh, I'll tweet out the link again, but we have our first few transcripts up and available now. Um, yes, there's we do. a link to a Google Drive folder, which is pinned on our Twitter account right now, I think. So you can find yes. that. I haven't gotten a shortened link for it yet. So unfortunately, I don't have a custom URL to send you to, but if you go to our Twitter account, it's the pinned tweet there. So you should be able to find them pretty easy. Um, tell your yes, friends. Yes. And then... Uh, for any of our Horror Borealis fans out there, we just got in some new merch. We have these beautiful maps of Revenant, these big, like, tourist maps um, that are really gorgeous. They're 24 by 36 inches, I think, so really nice size for framing and hanging up on your wall. Those were uh, designed by the phenomenal Eli Kurtz, who did just an incredible job. I am so excited to have them. I'll be putting those up on the Etsy store, and they'll be available for purchase uh, very, very soon, probably not by the time this episode drops, but probably very soon after. Absolutely. Awesome. Super cool. Sounds like a really good purchase for anyone's home. All right. I think I haven't plugged our socials in a hot minute. So just a reminder, if you're not following us on all our various and sundry websites, you can find us on Twitter at CryptKeepPod. That's C-R-Y-P-T-K-E-E-P-P-O-D. You can find us on Facebook under The Cryptid Keeper. If you want to come hang out in a Facebook group, you can find us in The Cryptid Keeper Appreciation Group. Hang out with some other uh, podcast and cryptid fans. Share memes, stories, talk about spooky stuff. Share pictures of your pets. We have pet threads a lot, and I'm always happy to see them. And that's a fun time. If you want to send us an email with a listener story or just uh, questions, et cetera, et cetera, you can do that at cryptkeeppod at gmail.com. Again, that's C-R-Y-P-T-K-E-E-P-P-O-D at gmail.com. And as always, we hope we can keep you around and stay safe out there. Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay.